Okay, so the last three services, this is our fourth message during this, uh, during this week, and I've been talking about taking the limits off God. This is something the Lord spoke to me 10 years ago, January the 31st, 2002. And we are now, this month will be my 10-year anniversary, and I've been talking about uh, it's just a life-transforming thing in my life. And I've been sharing about how all, how all of us limit God in many different ways. One of the first things we talk about is we limit God through ignorance. We just don't know that God has a plan for our life. We compare ourselves with other people and we look around and we try and be average. You know, all average is, is just average. It's mediocre. My dad used to tell me that second place is first loser. He was a competitor, and I tell you, I've taken it to heart. I always play to win. I don't always win, but I play to win. And uh, I believe that most of us are living way below our privileges because this is the way that nearly everybody is, and we look around and we compare ourselves with others, and we just think, well, this is, this is the way it has to be. Your life can be awesome. So you need to quit comparing yourself with people. That's the reason that the Bible is so important. You need to get into the Word of God and see what people who submitted themselves to God were able to do. How God wrought miracles through them. And God is no respecter of persons. He'll do the same thing for you. So we talked about all that. That was super important. And then on yesterday morning, I talked about how that our lifestyle hinders and limits God. Mark chapter 4 verse 19 says that the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things choke the word of God. And we have to be still and know that he's God. He speaks in a still small voice. And really most of us are so busy and so occupied with the cares of this life that we just cannot hear from God and be led by God. And to verify that, all you have to do is look at how many times you've gone out and fell flat on your face. And then you turn to the Lord and say, God, what, have I, what was wrong? And he shows you, you should have been doing this. But most of us don't turn to the Lord until you're already in trouble. There's a better way. And that is seek the Lord and let God lead you and avoid a lot of trouble. So we've talked about how that uh, comparing ourselves among others hinders God, limits God. How that our, um, what was I just saying? I'm thinking too far in advance here. About how our busyness limits God, we choke the word of God. Last night I began to talk about fear, how that fear limits God. And we talked about a fear of change, a fear of the unknown, and fear of failure. And I tell you, these fears are real and they hinder, they just paralyze a lot of people. I had two or three people come up to me in the line and uh, say that this was speaking directly to them, that they've lived their life in fear of all of these kind of things. And I tell you, fear limits God. Fear activates Satan and releases the power of Satan the same way that faith releases the power of God. Fear is not a good thing. And many people are living their life in fear. So I'm not through talking about that this morning. I want to talk about a fear of people. You could call this a fear of persecution. In my situation, uh, personally, a lot of this teaching this week is like a personal testimony. And I was limiting what God could do through me because I was fearful of persecution. And you know what? It's just, I think it's a normal reaction. If you, every time you bend over to pet a dog, it bites you. After a while, you quit petting that dog. Nobody likes to be bit. Nobody likes to be persecuted. If you like people hating you and being mad at you and saying bad things about you, something's wrong with you. God created us for a relationship and for fellowship. And the hatred and the strife and the persecution that goes on is not normal. God didn't build you with a desire for people to hate you. There's some people that react to life and they go through it. And in a sense, they cause a lot of stuff. They just glory in rubbing people the wrong way. Something's wrong with you. That is not normal. You know, I don't like people being mad at me, but I've gotten to a place to where I can overcome it and it doesn't keep me from doing what God called me to do and I'm able to cast my care about it over on the Lord. But I'm just saying, I think it's normal and natural for us not to like people hating us and criticizing us. And so in my personal life, 
I was ministering, I was getting criticism, but you know what? Back when the Lord spoke to me 10 years ago, we had about somewhere around 5% of the U.S. market covered by our television program. We were reaching people. We were seeing good things happen, but in a sense, I was flying below the radar. Nobody really zeroed in on me because I wasn't that big of a deal. And so I was enjoying my anonymity and I was enjoying people not criticizing me. And I knew that if I fulfilled what God told me to do, that I was supposed to just go on every available thing and become a major player and somebody who's influencing the entire body of Christ. I knew that there was going to be persecution that came with it and I wasn't looking forward to it. And that's one reason that I was kind of just dog paddling instead of swimming. I was just floating. I was just uh, going along instead of pursuing things. And I think that this happens to a lot of people. When you start doing what God calls you to do, you've got a big, huge target drawn on your back. And there's a lot of people that know that with increased influence comes increased criticism. And there's a lot of people that honestly would rather stay in the background and not face the criticism and the things that go with it. You know, we see this in our ministry all the time. You promote somebody in an area and they become a leader. And I guarantee there's a lot of people that cannot be a leader and make decisions because of the consequences. You're going to hurt somebody. Somebody's going to criticize you. You know, I tell our Bible college students this all of the time, that if you came to Bible college looking for something wrong, we've got something for you. <laughs> because they're people. Ken and Shelley are people. They aren't perfect. And if somebody comes and just picks them apart, and is there anything that we can criticize, you'll find something. You know what? You, you can find something anyway. And the more you get into leadership... Most people, instead of rising to the occasion and being big, the easiest way for them to look good is to tear you down and to criticize you. And that's just human nature. They are going to criticize you. They are going to look. When you get into leadership, they're going to pick you apart with a fine-tooth comb. They're going to put a magnifying glass on you and go to analyzing things and criticizing everything. I heard, I saw something on the internet this morning. I didn't read it, but I just saw some kind of a blip about Michelle Obama and how that people inside of the White House uh, put out some kind of a thing that Michelle Obama is terrorizing the staff and critical and all of this kind of stuff. And I didn't even read it, but I thought they could say that of anybody. You know, Jamie, we were joking this week because uh, they were supposed to come pick her up at 6.30 and they forgot her. <laughs> and Jamie was totally forgotten on, uh, what was that, Friday night or thir Thursday night? And anyway, so she's been giving Larry a hard time. Larry brought her a Starbucks as a peace offering and <laughs> Jamie's milking it for all that she's worth, you know. And <laughs> but anyway, my point is that people could take something and criticize Jamie and say how mean she is to the staff and she's demanding this. She's not doing that. It just depends. If you are, if you're going to look at a person and start criticizing them, you'll find something to criticize. And a lot of people, rather than put up with this criticism and stuff like this, they just don't ever make themselves vulnerable. They never take a lead position. That's what I call a fear of men. Look over in Proverbs chapter 29 and in verse uh, 25. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 25 says, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whosoever putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. If you are afraid of men and their criticism and what they have to say about you, and if, if you... I'm saying this in love. It may not sound like it, but I just got more to say than I got time to say it. I hadn't got time to beat around the bush. I'm just telling you the truth in love. If you are so insecure that you cannot handle a person criticizing you, you are never going to see God's fullness fulfilled in your life. And brothers and sisters, the vast majority, vast majority of Christians are super insecure. That's the truth. 
And they are so paranoid about somebody criticizing them. For instance, you know, it's easy to see this in ministers because ministers won't stand up and speak the truth and say what the Word of God has to say because it's politically incorrect. And you can see that. But there's more subtle ways. Like, for instance, if you are at work and they're talking about something that completely violates everything you believe in, it's against the Word of God. Did you know that there are many of you, I could probably say most of you, that will not speak up and stand for what you believe because you are afraid of the criticism that people might have towards you. And in our country, usually it's not that they're going to physically beat you up, that they're going to fire you or do something like that. It's just that they're going to look at you and roll their eyes You aren't going to be a part of the uh, inner circle. They may avoid you. And it's just subtle things. And yet most Christians will not stand up and speak the truth about something because it's politically incorrect. It's just not in the main flow. And you know what that is? That's a fear of man. And it will limit what God does in your life. I could preach on this for, for weeks Use Elijah as an example of this. Elijah stood up in front of a king who was killing all of the prophets of God. And he walked right up to him and he says, thus saith the Lord. (laughs) He identified himself with the God who, if you were one of his ministers, you got killed. And he boldly walked right up to the king in front of everybody. Thus saith the Lord. It's not going to have rain or dew for years until I say so. And he spoke. And because he was bold and spoke the truth within three years, he was the central figure in the entire nation. He was telling the king what to do. The king was taking orders from him because he stood up and spoke the truth. We won't stand up and speak the truth. People compromise all of the time. You know, again, I'm not saying this for any malicious purpose. Somebody here will probably take offense because this is outside of the norm. But I'm just using this as an example. But On a pack of cigarettes, they will put a warning. Surgeon General has deemed that smoking cigarettes is hazardous to your health. And they'll put a warning and it's by law. They have to put that. If they put an ad on the television, they have to put that warning up. Because smoking takes about seven years off of the average person's life. Homosexuality by the gay and lesbians website, their own statistics, takes 21 years off the average person's life. If we weren't hypocrites, if we were telling the truth, you would say, I love you. I'm not against you because you're a homosexual, but man, you ought to put a warning right across their forehead. Homosexuality is hazardous to your health. But see, people won't say that because that's politically incorrect and they worry about what somebody says. The scripture says over in Leviticus chapter 19, I believe it's verse 17, it says, you shall not hate your neighbor in your heart, but you shall in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. If you know that a person, the choices that they're making is destroying their life, destroying them. Homosexuals have over 300 times as much suicide as the rest of the population. Spousal abuse is like 500 times as much among lesbians as it is among heterosexual people. And on and on and on you go. If you truly loved a person, you'd tell them the truth because it's a destructive lifestyle. It's a lie. It's a lie that these are just normal people and it's no different than a man and a woman together. It's a lie. Did you know that among homosexuals that the average homosexual has something like 20 to 30 mates in a lifetime. And it is not unusual. There is up to 30 and 40% of homosexuals that have more than 500 sexual encounters with different people in a normal lifetime. For them to present this as it's normal is an absolute lie. And if you say that people brand you as a homophobe, I'm not a homophobe. I love homosexuals and I'm telling them the truth because it is a destructive lifestyle. It's a demonic deal. You aren't born that way. God made you Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Amen. But anyway, many people see are afraid to say stuff like that because of a fear of man. And because of it, it limits what God can do. You won't stand up and speak for morality. When people are talking about just shacking up with each other and acting like dogs, alley cats, 
You won't stand up and say, that. did you know that that's destructive? That you need to make a commitment. Why would you live with a person who's not even committed to you? Hasn't even had a ceremony. Has made no commitment. The, first, the only reason they do that is so that the first time things don't work out the way they want, they can leave without the encumbrances. They don't have any attachments. You ought to stand up for the truth and speak the truth. But most people have a fear of man and that brings a snare. That limits how God can use you. Thank you for that thunderous silence. But I'm telling you that you are going to limit what God can do with you if you know something to be true and you have a fear of men and you will not stand up for the truth because you're afraid of what people have to say. And I'm just being, I'm being blunt, but I'm saying this in love, but there is zero excuse for that in the United States. If you were in a foreign country where maybe they're going to kill you or something, you know, you could even debate that, but God would stand with you and help you even in those situations. But here where it's just going to be, they're going to look at you a certain way. Give me a break. I've been spit on. I've been kidnapped. I've been threatened to be killed. I've had a lot of things happen to me. And those things are minor compared to people that have given their life. I got a letter from a woman in Iran lately and, uh, talking about how that she was under persecution. She had to use code words and sneak this email out and have somebody else send it and stuff. And their lives are threatened. You know what? That's persecution. But just somebody looking at you and criticizing you, you know, pull your thumb out of your mouth and grow up. What has made us so weak that we have to have everybody else's acceptance you know what it is? It's because we have a vacuum of God's love on the inside. And where you get your ego from and your acceptance from is all of these people. To use a psychological term, you become codependent upon people. And you have to have your spouse and your children and your workmate and your in-laws and your outlaws approval before you can actually feel good about everything. That is a very carnal carnal thing to do. Again, I'm not saying that you ought to like people's rejection, but you need to get to a place to where if God loves you, which he does, then that ought to be sufficient. There was a friend of mine who was over in Africa ministering and he started some churches and he was struggling and it seemed like things weren't working and he was out, he was a Scandinavian and he was out in the jungles praying. And he was just griping about nobody loves him and people haven't accepted him and people are criticizing him. And he was just talking about all of this. And the Lord spoke to him in such a loud voice that the earth shook, the ground shook. He could see the trees swaying from it. And I mean, God spoke to him and said, Walter, like that, and yelled his name real loud. And he says, aren't I enough? And he just repeated that, and boy, Walter repented. <laughs> God, you are enough. It doesn't matter. And he went on to start over 500 churches in Africa. Man, you need to get to a place to where God's enough. And it's just amazing how insecure we are. And it's because we aren't in a vibrant relationship with God, and we have to have everybody else's approval. The only people that will ever let you down are the ones that you lean on. And if you don't lean on anybody but Jesus, nobody can let you down. If you're one that, if the Lord was to tell you to move to Africa or to move someplace, you have to think, oh man, what are my in-laws going to say? We're going to be taking the kids away and you know what? You got a fear of man. I'm not saying you shouldn't be concerned about it and try and present it in the most positive way and make it, you know, as good as can be. But for you to sit there and debate whether you will do what God tells you to do because somebody might not like it, you've got a fear of men and it will limit what God can do. You know, as a minister, I've had to deal with this a lot because again, I don't like people hating me. I don't like it when people have spit in my face and done things like this. And nobody likes it. 
But one of the things that really helped me, I had a person that I knew things that they needed to hear. I was going to tell them, but I was just bracing for their reaction because they were going to be mad. I knew they would not like it. And I was debating about whether or not to share all of this. And the Lord spoke to me and he says, you have no right to reject the truth for that person. You ought to give every person the opportunity of rejecting my word on their own. And he said, when you sit there and don't tell a person the truth because you're afraid of how they might respond, then you rejected it for them. And you know what? That changed my thinking around. Now, if you come up to me and say, oh, does this dress make me look fat? You, you shouldn't ask me that unless you want the truth. I am not going to sit there and say, oh, no, no, no. I'll tell you the truth. I probably will try and deflect it by saying, you know, I, that's not my place to say. And I, but if you press me, I'll tell you the truth, amen. I'm not going to lie to you. And yet there's, most people are just so afraid that somebody's going to criticize them or reject them. And because of it, they are paralyzed to do what God tells them. There, you know, there was hundreds of people that raised your hand about if you didn't have any restraints on you, you'd come to Bible college and stuff. I bet you that there are some of you that the restraints you're feeling is, what would my family think? What would this person think? People are going to think, I've lost my ever-loving mind. We've had that a lot. We've had some people in our Bible college in Colorado who their family has disowned them for coming. We had one woman come from Utah whose husband said, if you get on that plane, I'm divorcing you. And they were already in trouble. It's not like, you know, that that hadn't been brought up before he had threatened it. But anyway, she came and he divorced her. And that was just coming to a meeting at our uh, offices. She wasn't coming to Bible school. So he wound up divorcing her and she wound up coming to Bible school. But uh, anyway, there's... There's people who, because of stuff like that, will just be paralyzed and not do what God tells you to do. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, that limits God. You need to be to a place where you love people, you're concerned about people, you are going to not try and go out and offend anybody, make sure that it's God and not you that's offending people. I'm not saying that you use this as an excuse to go out and just be mean and ugly. But you need to come to a place to where when God speaks something to you, man, nobody else is going to stop you from doing what God told you to do. You don't respect anyone. You don't honor anyone's opinion as much as you honor God's opinion. And with most people, that's not true. You need to deal with that. If any of the things that I've been saying hits you, then you have a fear of man. And a fear of man brings a snare. It will bring bondage into your life. You need to get over it. Amen? That's pretty awesome. Look over in Numbers chapter 13. This is kind of a combination of a fear of man and a fear of failure. But this is an example of what I'm talking about. Numbers chapter 13. This is where Moses sent the spies out to spy out the promised land. And Caleb and Joshua brought up a positive report and said, we could do it. This is what God told us to do and we're going to do it. But look at in verse 31, but the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against this people for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which the Lord which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And they, there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so were we in their sight. 
You know, God said that this was a land that flowed with milk and honey, and it was true. These exact men went on an expedition, and they found one cluster of grapes that was so big, they had to put it on a pole and carry it between two men. Can you imagine, can you imagine them carrying a cluster of grapes that big on a pole in between two men? This isn't the cluster of grapes that we have today. It was huge. It had to be born on a pole between two men. That's how blessed this land was. It's changed since the destruction of Israel and the blessing of God was removed and a lot of it's desert today. But at one time, I guarantee you, it was like the Garden of Eden is what the scripture says. It was lush. It was a beautiful place. And yet here's the same, here's God's people looking at the same piece of land. And instead it's a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof. And you know what it all boiled down to? They said, we were in their sight like grasshoppers and so were we in our own. It doesn't matter how other people see you. It matters how you see yourself. And if you were to, if you were to look at this from God's standpoint, look over in Joshua chapter two at this passage of scripture. This is 40 years later when uh, Moses or when Joshua sent out some new spies and they went into Jericho and in Joshua, it says, uh, this is Rahab the harlot who took in the spies and hid them from the king. And she asked these spies to have mercy upon her and upon her house when the Israelites conquered Jericho. And here's what she said in verse nine. She said unto the man, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all of the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what he did under the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you for the Lord, your God. He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. As soon as we heard what? That the Red Sea dried up. That was 40 years before. Did you know the truth was? Yes, they were great men of stature. They were giants, but this tells you what they were thinking. For 40 years, they had been fearful of the Israelites and their heart had melted and their strength had left them. If they had been analyzing things properly, it would have been a cakewalk going in to the land of, of uh, Palestine. They could have gone in and the people's defenses had departed and God would have given them total victory. But they looked at things only in the natural and they looked at the height of those people. You know, you can also contrast with this in 1 Samuel chapter 17 where David went out to face Goliath and the rest of the armed men, the mighty men, were all hiding behind rocks and fearful because of Goliath. And David looked at him and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? You know, the terminology in the Bible, especially King James, it's old English and people just skip over words and don't think about it because after all, it's just but not the way we talk and they don't analyze it. But when David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? What he was talking about was the covenant of circumcision. He was not an Israelite. He wasn't one of God's covenant people. It would be equivalent to us saying, who is this person that doesn't even have a covenant with God? Who isn't one of God's people to stand against those who are? Did you know this is the attitude that we ought to have when unbelievers come out at you and criticize you? It doesn't matter if it's family members, work people, doesn't matter if it's a person in a position of authority, whoever they are, if they don't know God, your opinion of God is better than theirs. Their opinion is sending them to hell. You're born again. And if you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you are absolutely one of the select few today. Because even Christians, many Christians don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it gives you a revelation of God and an access to God that the average Christian doesn't have. So if you're born again and spirit filled, you're an elite group already. And why in the world would you elevate somebody else's opinion? Why would you put that kind of authority upon them? Nobody can intimidate you without your consent and cooperation. 
That is a powerful statement. Nobody can have influence over you unless you give it to them. And if you're worried about what somebody is going to say about you, it's because you value men. You have a fear of men and not a fear of God. Or your fear of men is greater than your fear of God. It's actually an indication of a deficiency in you, not them. It's not the people who criticize you that's the problem, it's you. If you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps the loudest is the one that got hit. And when you take a stand for the Lord, the one who criticizes you the most is the one who's under conviction. And the way they're trying to deal with this conviction is to tear you down and to discredit you. And if they can make you fall apart, well, then they can say, see, I was right. It's the same thing we do in court. If you have a witness that has damaging testimony, you bring the, the lawyer up and he just assaults the character of that person. And if you can make that character witness to where they have no character, then you can dismiss their testimony. And that's what persecution is all about. It's people who they don't like the scrutiny. You know, the scripture says in John chapter three, that those who do evil will not come to the light and they hate the light because they're afraid their deeds will be made manifest. For you to take a moral stand on social issues and to have an opinion, people who are immoral are going to criticize you because your morality condemns them. Doesn't mean that you condemn them. You could love them and be sincere. And yet they in their heart know that they're wrong. Romans chapter one, verse 18 says, God has revealed himself against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. All of it. Every person on their heart level knows that they're wrong, but they don't like that sense of, of uh, guilt and condemnation. And so when anybody stands up for the values that they are against, they will attack you in an effort to try and make them look good. They, they want to dim your light so that it won't show light on their sin. And that's the reason that the criticism comes. If you understand this, actually being criticized, persecuted is a compliment. Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you. For so spoke they of the prophets that were before you. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 12 says, yea, all those who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you aren't suffering persecution, you aren't living godly. Was that too complicated? Anybody miss that? You know what? If nobody says anything critical about you, you are not being a good Christian. You aren't ministering the word properly. Jesus said, if they've crucified me, if they've criticized me, they will also criticize you. If the master of the house has received criticism, you'll receive criticism. I don't like it, but you know what? I've gotten to where I just rest in God and God loves me and criticism and persecution is not going to detract me or stop me from doing what God told me to do. I've got hundreds, maybe thousands of blogs written about me on the internet that I'm a terrible person. Lies abound. I've got all kinds of stuff. And you know what? It just isn't going to change me. Amen. I'm not surprised by it. And it doesn't make me sit there and curl into a fetal position and suck my thumb and talk about nobody likes me. Amen. I could minister a lot, lot more on that. But anyway, a fear of people, a fear of persecution paralyzes a lot of people. They are just not willing to take any criticism. They, they are so frail. And that's because that's really an indication of your lack of relationship with God. You want the praises of men more than you want the praises of God. If that's you you will limit God. You will not see God's full potential. And here's, here's another one. I had to write some of these scriptures down because I don't use these verses a lot. But in my personal situation, when God spoke to me 10 years ago, you know what probably the biggest fear in my life was, was a fear of success. But some of you don't understand what I'm saying here. But success has destroyed much more people 
than hardship and failure ever has. We often have people say things like, man, it's when you're, you know, suffering and when everything's going wrong, this really shows what's in you. No, what really reveals what's on the inside of you is when everything's going good. Anybody with even minimal commitment to God will seek God when things aren't working and it looks like you're going to die and you can't get out of it on your own. People will turn to God. Even people that don't love God will turn to God and cry out for help and ask God for help when they're in a bind. But did you know what is a greater indication of what's on the inside of you is when everything's going good and you don't have to have God? How much do you study then? How much do you pray then? There's a lot of scriptures that talk about this. You know, uh, let me read a few of these to you quickly. I got to hurry through this. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7 through 9. Lori, would you put that up there so that I can save time? It says, two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and still and take the name of my God in vain. And this is repeated many places in scripture. But he's saying that, you know, either have uh, adversity or prosperity, but it would be better just to be kind of somewhere in the middle because if you're really poor, it can discourage you and break you, but also prosperity will get to a point that you deny the Lord. Over in Deuteronomy chapter eight, uh, the whole chapter is Moses writing to the Israelites saying, when you go into the promised land and you enter into these houses that were built by giants, I mean, they're mansions and you have fields that have already been cleared and crops that have already been planted and everything has already been done and you come into all of this prosperity, he says, you beware that you don't forget that it's the Lord who gave you this power to get wealth so that he could establish his covenant. There is a fear in prosperity. Prosperity destroys more people than adversity ever does. And this is one of the things we're dealing with in our nation right now. We're so prosperous that we've got spoiled people that feel like that if they don't have five flat screen TVs, the government ought to do something about it. This Occupy Wall Street, I wanted to go up to all of those people and say, well, give me your iPod, your smartphone, your all of these things, all of the gadgets. These people are griping about having nothing and they've got so much. But prosperity hardens a lot of people's hearts to the Lord. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, I believe it's verse 7, it talks about uh, Saul and Samuel prophesied to him. And Saul had completely rejected God. And because of it, God said through Samuel, because you've rejected the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. And then Samuel told him this. I think it was 1 Samuel 15, 7. He says, when you were little in your own eyes. Well, that's not it. But that, anyway, it's in the 15th chapter. Let me look at this. It's verse 17, Lori. 1 Samuel 15, 17. It says, when you were little in your own eyes, in your own sight, you were made head of the tribes of Israel and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. But it goes on to talk about now you've been lifted up with pride. And because of it, Saul lost the kingdom. You can also talk about Uzziah. That's over in Second um, Chronicles chapter 26, verse 16. And Uzziah was a king that started out humble and he started serving God. And God gave him witty inventions is what it said. He built these engines that were, gave him a military advantage. And because of it, he was able to conquer everybody. The kingdom was established. This man prospered, prospered, prospered. But then he got lifted up with pride and he went into the temple and thought, I'm going to offer a sacrifice to God. He occupied the priest place, which a king couldn't do that. And because of it, God smote him with leprosy. And he left that place, a leper in the sight of God. And it was his prosperity. When he was little, he started out good. David did the same thing. Second Samuel chapter 11. If you'd put verse one up there, Lori, this is a great example of this. It says, and it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle, 
that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabab. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an eventide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself and the woman was very beautiful to look on. And this is the chapter that discusses David's sin with Bathsheba and killing her husband so he could cover up his adultery. Notice in the first verse, it says at the time when kings go forth to battle, when David was young, when he was small before the kingdom was established, he led the, tr- the fight. He always led his troops into battle because that's the time that kings go forth to battle. But now he had become so prosperous that he was able to stay and send other people to do what God anointed him to do. And he was bored. You can tell it because it says in verse two, in the eventide, he rose up off of his bed and got into trouble. If you're just getting up when the sun's going down, that means you're sleeping during the day. That means you're bored stiff. That means he wasn't doing anything. He sent other people out to do what God called him to do. And David, who started out so God-dependent, got independent of God because of prosperity. And anyway, because of these things, I actually was aware that if the Lord was to multiply this ministry and give me more influence and have me start reaching more and more people, that it could be... It could be the destruction on me. And I was fearful of that. And some of you may think that that's strange. But I I honestly was fearful of success and what it potentially uh, could do. And I prayed about that long and hard. And the Lord finally spoke to me. He says, I've been working on you for 43 years or 33 years at the time. He says, you just need to trust that I've prepared you for this. Amen. And so I went ahead and had to... I had to overcome that fear and just say, all right, Father, I'll take it. Whatever comes with it. But you know, there can be, it can be weird the way that we think sometimes. The fears that we have that hold us back. But somebody could be afraid of success. I think part of this also uh, was just a sense of unworthiness, which, you know, I hate to admit because, man, God has spoken to me for 43 years about who I am in Christ. And this is one of the strong points in my life. I know that God loves me. I know that God carries my picture in his wallet. I am absolutely convinced of it. But you know what? I still have to deal with what other people think of me and stuff like that. And I just didn't feel worthy to, for God to use me. I've said it before, but if I was God, I wouldn't have picked me. There's other people that are better. Hey, you don't have to amen that too well. (laughs) And you know, part of the way that this was revealed to me was in December of 2001. The Lord dealt with me for about 45 days before I finally figured out that I was limiting him. And part of this process was that we started looking for a new office space because we had totally maxed out the 14,600 square foot office that we were in. And uh, so when we started looking for a new place, I was out traveling and ministering and Jamie was uh, with a realtor looking at a place. And when I got back from the airport, she picked me up and showed me a couple of places. And some of the places that they were looking at were 30,000 square feet. And Jamie said, I think that'll probably hold us forever. And when she said that, I thought, oh no, because God had spoken to me that someday we would have one of the largest ministries in the world and we would be reaching people all around the world. And I knew it, but you know what? Jamie and I share everything. We talk about everything. And I hadn't even told Jamie all of the vision that I had because I'd been criticized. And when you are having people stay away from your meetings by the thousands and nothing is working, You just get a lot of criticism if you go to speaking forth your vision. So back in the very beginning, I got criticized so much, I just quit speaking the things that God had put in my heart. And I realized I hadn't even shared this with Jamie. And boy, that was a major shock to me. And it showed me that, you know what, I was was afraid of sharing my vision with people. I hadn't told people about the vision that God had put in my heart. And then I was in Tulsa just a few weeks later, and I was being interviewed by Lynn and Kathy Mink on this radio program on David Engel's radio station. 
And they had a deal where they gave the news and then they gave the weather and then they introduced their guest and they uh, took a commercial break and invited me in. And so anyway, I was sitting out in this waiting room with David Ingalls talking to him and Lynn and Kathy Mink, who are the music directors for uh, Kenneth Copeland and all of these, uh, I've been watching them and been to their meetings for years. And they were talking about how that when they first got born again, I'm the very first person they ever heard minister the gospel and that they were raised on my teaching and it had changed their life and it was the, one of the major influences in their life. And they were just saying all these nice things about me and it embarrassed me so much that when I got in there into the radio studio, I could hardly talk. <laughs> and, and you know, it was illogical because I've been on radio since 1976, I think it was, constant. I've been on hundreds of radio stations. You would think that somebody, someplace would hear you. So logically, I understood it, but I just had never allowed myself to think that I was really influencing people and contacting people because I was afraid of being lifted up in pride. And God just used all of these different things to combine and show me how that I was uh, limiting what he could do in my life because of my uh, false humility and my sense of unworthiness and fear of success and other stuff. And I had to confront that and deal with it. And I tell you, it's amazing. I mentioned some of this on Thursday night, but when I made the change in my heart and I said, praise God, I am going to do what God called me to do, regardless of the potential for failure, for rejection, persecution, potential for pride or whatever, I'm going to do what God told me. And when I made that decision and changed, within weeks, everything in our ministry changed. I mean, within weeks, our ministry began to just explode. The Lord has shown me it's kind of like God was pouring all of these blessings and things out on me since he called me to minister 44 years ago. He was pouring all of this out and I had dammed it up. I had this huge dam built up that was holding back all of the blessings and the things that God was wanting to do in my life. And when I finally yielded and said, all right, I'll do it. And I removed that and started speaking my faith. I mean, it's like that dam burst and boom, here comes the power of God. And I really believe that that's true for many of you in here, that God's got a great plan for your life. He's got awesome purposes. But we've got all of these things that we do that limit what God can do in our life. And I, I can testify, it doesn't take ten, 10 years. 10 years, I've seen an awesome things happen. But within weeks, I begin to start seeing miraculous response. Tremendous things happening. David and Gail Hardesty are a part of that equation. They just, God spoke to them independent of me. I didn't say it and it told them to take retirement and come out and help us take this ministry to the next level. I couldn't do what I'm doing without David and Gail. All of these people, God has sent us some of the most awesome people. Man, if any of you were to go to our ministry and meet the people that God has put with us, it is just absolutely supernatural the things that God is happening. And I mean, all of this had been there. God had determined it since before I was born. And yet I was limiting what God could do in my life by my stinking thinking. And brothers and sisters, many of you are doing this. And it wasn't because I was a bad person and it wasn't because I didn't love God. I loved God and I had a good relationship with God. You can, you can be a good person. You can love God. God can be using you. I'd seen my son raised from the dead. I was seeing things happen. It's not like my life was totally wrong, but man, it was much, much less than what God wanted it to be. And I'm just telling you that I think many people, even most people are in that same situation. And there's people right here today that you need to quit limiting God. You need to repent. If you are worried about what your parents are going to say, what some relative is going to say, you know what? You need to cut the umbilical cord and just stand on your own. If you're worried about people at work, about the people at your church, about all of these other things, you need to get rid of this stuff. You need to confront it. 
And if you in your heart feel fear and reservations because how would other people accept this? Then you've got more of a hindrance than what it should be. You need to deal with that and get to a place to where you might pray and say, God, help me to minimize the damage if this is going to offend people, but you're going to do it anyway. You just need to get to a place to where you're going to do what God told you to do. You are not going to limit him because of a fear of other people, a fear of what it might do to you because you're lazy and you're just taking the easy way out. You resist change. You need to get rid of all of these things because God has a great purpose for every person in here. I believe that with all of my heart. And you need to move in that direction. So how do I do that? Well, come back tonight and I'm going to talk about your imagination. This will amaze you some of the things that the scripture has to say about your imagination. I think this will really, really bless you. Also, let me just mention once again that there's many of you in here who know that something has to happen and you just don't know what. And you're at a loss. And this isn't the first time that you've felt this way. And yet it passes. Did you know that the average person, hopefully you, none of you in here are average, but if you're average, the average person will get stirred up and think about this while I'm ministering on it. But within a day or two, you'll be back in your routine and you'll forget it. Satan comes immediately to steal away the word. And so you got to do something to make a difference. And for many people, again, many of you will think this is just a crass commercial. It's not meant that way. It's just an opportunity. It's a vehicle to help you. But for many of you, that first step could be Bible college. I can guarantee you, if you make a commitment and you start spending four hours a day sitting under powerful anointed teaching of the word, it will change you. I can guarantee you, if there's any flame on the inside of you, it'll fan it into a raging fire and it will transform your life. And many of you just need to do something. And Bible college could be a thing. So I encourage you to go to that meeting. It'll be taking place in just a few minutes here. Let's pray and then I'll, I'll let you go. Father, we love you and we thank you for these truths. Thank you, Father, that you have delivered us from the fear of men and a fear of success. All of these things that hinder people. Father, I thank you that perfect love cast out fear. And for any person who's been confronted with some of these things in their life, I'm asking that today the Holy Spirit would show them how to overcome those things, how to persevere and go beyond it and get into a place to where the only person that matters is Jesus and what he thinks of us, our relationship with him. Father, whatever these things are that hold people back, in the name of Jesus, I just speak that they are being broken. That today we are cutting the umbilical cord. We are going to pull our thumb out of our mouth and grow up and get to a place where we're secure in you and we don't have to have people's opinion to be able to thrive. Thank you, Jesus. I believe that you're doing a work in people's lives, miraculous work and that people are being changed forever. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive it in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, I know that we have new people here today. Again, I want to ask...